everybody, this is Shannon. Thanks so much for joining us for our blog this week on math story mats. Whether you're working with your students at home or in the traditional classroom, it's important to understand the progression of how young child's minds really comprehend word problems. We start with real objects in the physical world, providing the language to explore and manipulate objects as they begin to understand the relationship between numbers and words and words to numbers. Then we move into the quantitative pictures, counting things and creating lots of conversations through purposeful questioning. As students master these two developmental stages, we can move them into the next stage, which is really acting out the story problems with CPA, concrete pictorial abstract. This has nothing to do with the person who does your taxes, by the way, but it has everything to do with getting kids to express their knowledge of mathematics concretely, pictorially, and abstractly. Story mats are an excellent way to help children solve problems with different problems of real-world scenarios. The mat that we'll show you today along with our tutorial videos will help students explore their thinking by providing visual images and allowing students to act out the problems. The visual pictures might be a barn, it could be a house, it could be a dinner table, it could be something that's familiar to your child. They can put counters on the mat and represent the quantities. Concrete representations. Sometimes it's difficult for our littles to use an inanimate object like an M&M or a counter to represent something that isn't real. As we've talked about before, many of our children are really skipping over the imagination stage in their childhood. Because kids are so plugged in these days, very few children have an imaginary friend anymore. They oftentimes have difficulty imagining how they would put a puppet show on or play something in the kitchen, like pretending when something isn't really real. I personally remember sitting in a play kitchen in a preschool classroom and pretending to pass out pizza to everybody that was sitting at the table. A little preschool boy said to me, you didn't put anything on my plate. There isn't any pizza. I said, well, yes, yes, I did. I put it right there. It's a pretend pizza. He was very skeptical about, and, and really, he... I think it represents how many of our kids think today. Unless the pizza's real or it's a rubber play pizza, there's no pizza, right? They have a hard time really using their imaginations to represent real objects when they're, they might not really be there. Depending on the developmental stage, it might take littles sometimes to create concrete tools as something, um, you know, really mathematically to represent something entirely different than it, that it, that it actually is. So when you start using objects like counters or beans, or maybe even cereal over your home, to represent things, our little sometimes have a hard time transitioning to that. For example, if you're using counters to represent eyes on an owl, you might have to explain that they're not really owl eyes that are here, but they're just representing how many there are. Or if you're using one-inch square tiles to represent people sitting on a playground bench, we may have to help the students really envision the person in each square. Realistically, if you're doing, if you're, if you're looking at a bench or a garden, we know we really can't turn our counters into into fish or flowers, right? So concrete representations is the first stage in this level. We need to help kids start to understand that an object can be related to something. We can also provide different scenarios, a tree, a bucket, a sandbox, a lake, a road, etc., and have them pretend to imitate objects represented 
um, or sorry, to use inanimate objects to represent something quantitatively for the story problem. For example, if you're working with a tree, the story mat that we have, you might talk about birds or owls in the tree. Students need to be able to hear the story problem read aloud and then use the counters to represent the birds or the owls, even if they look nothing like birds or owls. They're just really quote unquote acting it out on the mat. As students become more and more familiar with concrete acting out the story problems that we've learned, read, heard aloud, they are going to get more and more fluid in their understanding of bringing math into the real world. The next stage is the pictorial representation. Much like the concrete representation, we have to, you know, really retrain our students to think about pictorial representations differently. In math and in our story maths, we have something called a quick draw box. In traditional writing or in liberal art, liberal art, students are often told to use white space and to accurately represent what they're seeing. Use the correct colors for the hair, legs, um, legs are at the bottom, you know, it doesn't attach to my head. Um, students end up with more color and description in drawings. In math, though, it's a little bit less is more, right? Especially if we're just doing a quick draw. If I'm counting ants on the playground on a story mat, I'm going to draw individual ants out on my quick draw because that isn't quick to be able to do that, to be able to put the eyes in the, you know, if they have antennas maybe on their ant and the legs. You need to draw all the legs and, and it would just take a lot. We don't have time for that. After we teach the traditional, or just right there, after we teach this transition really from the real objects to the inanimate objects to represent something, we have to transition them to bring, to really be able to maybe put an X or a circle in. Instead of a bird with a beak and eyes and f fancy feathers, um, I kind of call it ringing and labeling. Use an X to put in the dot, put and put, use an X or put in a dot or a circle or whatever you need to represent what we're talking about in the picture. Obviously, depending on the age of the student that you're working with, they may start doing more detailed drawings. This is certainly okay because kids will naturally transition into a quick draw as they realize they can represent an object more quickly in a simple shape. For example, if we're talking about six ants crawling on the playset and two of them go away, how many ants are left? We could draw circles and then cross off the two to find the answer. The next stage is the abstract thinking. Once students are really able to represent objects concretely with unrelated objects, able to draw a picture of their thinking, we can now add in abstract thinking. They can use a number bond or a number sentence, something using numbers to show what they've done pictorially. This is not the right level for all students right away, and we don't want to build this level too early. In my opinion, it's more important to get students to understand the concept behind the digit or what the subtraction sign means than to just be able to regurgitate it and write it. If a child can't make the connection between the words and the numbers, or the numbers in the words, and are pushing really through the standard too quickly, it can be detrimental to their math foundation. That's why quantitative pictures and story maths are such a great tool as kids can interact with these tools in a real world way. Look at a, and it's playful for them. Working through story maths hit all three aspects of the phases of development. As students build problem solving skills, we have a set of word problem 
mats um, are really part of our littles, as I call it, like our math for littles publications, and some great tutorial videos that will help you apply CPA in real life situations. Whether you're a teacher or a parent, you can use these for your littles. For each story mat, there's 10 sample problems. The first three focus on part whole addition. This for number four and number five are going to focus on subtraction. Seven and eight are on missing add-in. And the last three problems are really meant to be for more challenging problems to help with deeper, deeper thinking. These problems ask questions a little bit differently to encourage kids to think outside the box or use higher order thinking to, in a, to find a situation. For example, I saw six eyes. Um, how many frogs were in the pond versus something more simplistic? You can easily differentiate the level of any of the problems by simply changing the quantity based on the level that the students are. If you're working with the quantities of 10, you can adjust the numbers to make sure the total is 10 or less. If you're working with younger students, you might want the total only to be 5 or less. You will notice that the problems are pretty generic. We use a lot of personal pronouns and general nouns. So you can insert students' names in the story problem, the names of family members or teachers that are familiar to them in the story to make it more personal. How to teach story problems. Our goal as we, as teachers and parents, is to keep kids really becoming deeper thinkers. To do this, we have to remember that there aren't we aren't the givers of all the information. Yes, we know the answer and how to solve the problem, but we need to let kids figure it out themselves because we know that they will remember it better. Our natural instinct, if we're working with kids beginning to act it out and they do it incorrectly, is to stop and fix it so that it doesn't end up wrong. But we really don't need to really auto-correct students when they're doing solving problems. Let's think about this, how we would handle this in the area of reading or maybe in a guided reading group. If a student comes to a word they don't know or says it incorrectly, they typically appeal or wait for you to give the word. As good teachers, we don't, we don't do that, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't give them, you want, we want them to really engage in a little productive struggle and use the strategies they've learned in the reading group to help them to figure out the word on their own. We might walk them through a few strategies, like let's look at the picture, let's read the sentence and look at the context clues, but ultimately, you want them to decode the word. We want them to do the work because if we don't, the next time we come to that word, what's going to happen? They're going to ask you for help again. Math works in the same way. Obviously, we don't want to answer. We don't want to tell them the answer. We want the students to have a little bit of productive struggle as they begin to solve the problems. But we also want to be careful about questioning. We can technically not give away the answer, but we still walk students through the exact way to how to solve the problem just by asking what I call leading questions, which practically gives away the answer or the information. Sometimes in in schools, you know, we're doing that because time is, t is passing and we need to get going. And so we try to push kids through it first. But this isn't really what we want to do. There were six frog eyes. Okay, everybody, get out six counters. Now let's put them into groups of two because you know that frogs have two eyes. Now count the eyes. How many are there? Okay, let's count the groups of two. And now we get the answer. There's no learning taking place. Kids are just imitating what you're doing. So instead, we want you to ask the questions more open-ended. Can you tell me about what you're thinking? I noticed that you have counters. How many do you have? Why did you pick that many? Why did you pick that many counters? The, the more we can let kids explain their own thinking, the better. Additionally, when you begin questioning the student, most of them really think they're wrong. You wouldn't question me if I was right. That's sort of the mentality of what kids think when you question them. So we encourage you to question students when they are using the story mats, even 
when they're correct. At the very least, it will have them go back to rethinking themselves. Did you, did you do it wrong? We want kids to be able to defend their answers and be able to figure out why they found out. Because we're encouraging deep thinking, there isn't one right answer to how to solve the problems. We've included in our story mats. If a student's working with a different differently than you expected, that doesn't mean that's incorrect. When students are working, I encourage you to ask them open-ended questions to get a better idea about how they're thinking about things. This is what how we'll get students to be better at problem solving as they get older. What's next? As students can easily move through these three levels of a CPA on a story mat, it's time to give them a blank mat that we can work through together with similar problems with the scaffolding of the picture. Developmentally, students at this stage can envision the scenario without the picture because they've worked through all the levels and built this foundation for math. They've done it with real objects, they've done it in quantitative pictures, now they're doing it with story mats, so now we've created this, we've created this um, one that you can download for free, either in portrait or landscape. You certainly don't have to use the story mat on our website, but we do recommend having a designated mat or space for the kids to work out the math problems. These mats might be designed spaced where students can act them out in a concrete way, and it helps eliminate some of the confusion when they're switching back and forth to write it with their pencil and paper. It could be a dry erase board, it could be just a purple piece of construction paper, but it just needs to be something that is allowed for just the manipulatives. This works well in a group setting, maybe with kindergartners. They come to sit in the circle with their mat and you have a bowl of counters. You read the story problem out loud and once they're ready for the problem, they might manipulate it as the way that they're hearing it. This is a great way to know if your child is at the top point of being able to start to move in to the early stages of what we call visual models of story problems. Next week we're going to take you through a way that you can scaffold kindergarten and then move into first grade to help through this progression into a more traditional story problem that will help create the success when applying mathematics. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope to see you next week as we continue in our series of working through word problems in a developmental appropriate way.